0: The jet banked hard as Ace put us down on a flat stretch of dirt, the call the challengers received having come from a friend of June's. Apparently there was a thief in a castle who had his eyes on some items that could give him incredible powers. As we headed towards the looming stone fortress, Matt and I noticed Red and Rocky bickering, small hints of their true character coming out in a tense situation. This might prove a fruitful trip after all. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. You know, every time I do that, I'm really, really concerned that I'm going to not remember any of it. Because for the life of me, I can't do it off the top of my head when we're not recording. Really? I just, I don't remember the words. And then when we're here, I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I say. Um, And I always, I'm always worried I'm going to do the Jay and Miles explain the X-Men intro.
1: Yeah, I'm like, there's always
0: <laughs> that like, like little feeling in the back of my head where I'm gonna be like, don't, don't talk about X Men, don't talk <laughs> about X Men. That's not what you do. Um, I mean,
1: like the g- the great thing is it's at the start of the episode. Yeah, so it's so very easy to be like, fuck it.
0: Yeah, we'll start <laughs> over. Uh, but like, I'm always consistently worried that I'm gonna
1: forget my lines. I um, mean, I'm worried about that, be- but that's because I had like a good like. There was what. A good- Three at four episodes in a row where yeah, I stumbled over it a little bit, but like you know, we, you
0: came out the other side. It's fine. Yeah. Um, if I were to start screwing that up, that'd be worse because I have more more lines. Yeah. Oh, substantially. Yeah. I get, <laughs> I get to react. Yeah, you get to do the what? Um, <laughs> but you know, we've been doing this for a while, and maybe we should just do another podcast. Maybe we should just talk about
1: Sonic. I am very, very down for this. I'm, like, I, I need, I have actually like said to myself, I need. If we to do sit that, down. I'll do it. I, I.
0: All right. Okay. Yeah. No. I'll, I'll Fist bump. Do it. Yeah. No. We'll do it. My my. Um, it's tied. I think. But I think the name we should go with is Mobius strips. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the name we have to Thank go you. with. It's like we can't not not make a pun out of it. I, like,
1: <laughs> I, see, here's the thing. I think that's actually really terrible SEO. Oh yeah. I think it's an amazing joke. Oh, it's a great but,
0: fucking joke, man. That's going to be murder. (laughs) Uh. No,
1: see, here's the thing. (laughs) You remember how Jane Miles talked about how every once in a while they would get, like, a spike in people? Like, they would see the search results that brought people to their page, and sometimes it would be, like, X-Men erotica? Yeah. Like, here's the thing. That's all of it. It's just all oh, Sonic in no. various positions. We're going to get a lot of
0: Christian kids out here. Oh, yeah. um, no, but I, I'm just going to laugh when somebody's like, I need to know what a Mobius strip is for college. And they're going to find our podcast and be like, what is this junk? <laughs> and they're going to be like, "What is, where are these two grown men talking about Sonic comics? And I'll be like, just <laughs> you wait, son. Um, all right. Now that we've effectively gone down that rabbit hole, we've come out. Done that nut hole? Yeah, presumably, since we've come out the other side i guess we're gonna return to the challengers because that's what we're talking about today i promise we're gonna get back on topic Joanne. you just weren't paying attention
1: other podcasts aside other
0: other podcast ideas aside um today we're talking about challengers number uh 8 through 17 and that sounds like a lot but really it isn't um it's it's a chunk of pages but really it's not a lot of content to cover yes um So we're just going to start plowing ahead with it and there's going to be some stuff that we're going to note that comes in, you know, kind of after the fact with this uh, group of issues. That's kind of an interesting evolution of the characters, I think. Um, So we're going to start with Challengers number 8, June, July, 1959. Uh, June has a friend who owns a castle and inside that castle is a thief who steals boxes that give him powers and uh, at one point he turns Ace and Rocky into kids. And Ace and Rocky do the, like, I'm 16 or 12 or whatever and we're fighting an adult man and then suddenly they get reverted back to normal size and their clothes don't fit anymore and they look like dummies. And this is the first real opportunity we see of Red being the sassy youngster by making fun of the two of them in their kids clothes as adults and it's kind of funny. Um, Obviously they defeat the guy and all is well and the lady who is June's friend gives the castle away as like a charity thing. Uh, the second story in Challengers, number eight, is aliens asked for aid to help overthrow these robot servants that they created that essentially became self-aware and didn't want to be robot servants anymore. And I feel like the Challengers did something bad there, but I can't really tell if what they did was bad or if they'd, like, stopped a natural revolution from occurring.
1: Huh. Like, it's it's kind of written as though the aliens didn't... the The robots didn't have, like, sentience... They were just malevolent. Right. But they sure talked like they were sentient.
0: Right. There's a there's a level there where it's implied that the robots are evil and or bad and or tyrannical. But there's also only the evidence of the people who were overthrown. So, yeah. History is written, written in fact, by the winners in this scenario. And the losers here are pretty sore from the fact that they made robot slaves that then got smart enough that they didn't want to be robot slaves. I'm just saying... There's a little ambiguity in that story, and I don't know how to feel about it.
1: And this is why I try to treat AI and anything robotic as, not necessarily an equal, but respectfully.
0: Yeah. So we're going to go to Challengers number 9, August, September 1959. Uh, A bad guy gives the Challengers amnesia, and June has to help them recover their memories in time to stop him from being, you know, a villain. The second story is aliens send giant animals to conquer the Earth. Uh, The challengers must trick the alien observation post into thinking that the creatures have been destroyed and when the observation post leaves, the creatures do in fact get destroyed. So I'm going to count that as body count three for the challengers because those are just animals. They're just animals that were confused doing stuff, doing natural animal things that just happened to be large and terrifying because the humans had no defense against them that were brought here by an alien species as sad, conquered animals. I feel like they didn't need to kill those animals yeah like i feel like they could have probably done something with them much in the vein like they did with the plutonian animals in the last uh episode Mm -hmm. that we talk about where they're like yeah take your animals and leave man and they do uh challengers number 10 october november 1959 uh again these are challengers of the unknown but i'm shortening it to challengers because again it's a mouthful challengers number 10 october november 1959 Uh, A scientist makes a formula that turns him into a jungle man thing. It's basically he turns him into a caveman, monster, creature, very Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. They stop him. They revert him back to normal. Everyone's happy. The second story is the Challengers stumble upon a civilization from the past that they were made to forget. And uh, what they realize is that when they were there the first time, they accidentally helped a bad guy conquer the city. And now coming back for the second time, they're able to remember what happened and they help the people that they conquered overthrow the guy that they helped conquer. Again, the Challenger's doing weirdly ambiguous things when they don't know what's going on and they're just told by one person that stuff is bad. In this instance specifically, the challengers showed up the first time seeing a guy get ganged up on by a bunch of soldiers and they fought to save him because they thought that was wrong. Maybe you guys should think about what you're doing before you start jumping into stuff. Just saying, guys. Ace, you are doing a terrible job being a leader here. Challengers number 11, December, January, 1959, 1960. Happy New Year. An invasion force from another world that conquer planets, uh, that conquer other planets, uh, heads to Earth through teleporter portals that kind of like swap one person for another. Um, These aliens also ride giant flying triceratops, which is kind of intense. It was so cool. Yeah, it was like really like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing now. And then the story's over and all that goes away. Challengers number 12, February, March, 1960. I really tried to figure out how to pronounce this name. Uh, Sintaga. S-apostrophe-N-T-A-G-A. I'm going to say Sintaga. Uh, Sintaga comes to Earth to help the Challengers fend off an invasion that uh, he thwarted on his planet that then kind of trickles its way down to Earth. Uh, So thanks, Sintaga. He kind of looks like Despro from uh, the Justice League stories. He's got like a fin head sort of situation, except no third eye. It's a little thing I noticed. Yeah, that sounds right. The fin's going vertically on his head instead of horizontally like it did for Despero, but that's neither here nor there. Second story in Challengers number 12. A bad guy holds June hostage to get the Challengers to get him three objects that he wants, but the Challengers just use those objects to defeat him. Challengers number 13, April, May, 1960. The Challengers help an alien leader get his planet out from under tyrannical rule. Uh, Here's the last body count. During this sequence... When the challengers are flying personal jets to attack a fortress, they are very definitely shooting gun turret emplacements and blowing up towers. Hmm. I give lead a five. Because the gun turrets have at least two people manning them, and we see that. And I only see one challenger shooting a gun turret, but I know that all four challengers are in those jets. So I give them a five because towers can have more people. I don't know how many turrets they destroyed, but I know they destroyed one. So I'm going to say, like, that's two people and then two other turrets and one tower, mm. give or take. The second story uh, in Challengers 13, Rocky finds the Golden Fleece of Legend. And when he finds it, it basically starts making him hallucinate and conjuring creatures from mythic Greek myths making them into reality that the rest of the challengers and June have to face. And June pretends to be a mermaid slash siren to snap him out of it. And she pours water on his face and he kind of comes to, which is very bizarre that my favorite bit was the, the rest of the challengers, Rocky uh, or red ACE and professor Haley see June as the mermaid. And they don't recognize it as June, even though she's not covering her face and she's just wearing a wig. Like, it's really weird that they are like, don't recognize her immediately. Uh, Challengers number 14, June, July, 1960. Pramble, just a generic bad guy, drinks a formula which gives him powers each time he dies. And uh, this is the Multiman. And honestly, I kind of liked the Multiman stories. They were kind of fun. Except for the fact that his entire power set derives off of him committing suicide. Yeah. And that's the weird bit. Now, I mean, literally either jumping off cliffs... Or committing suicide by soldiers or guards of different places that they go to. So, it's really bizarre. He's an interesting character because it's the first time they've ever really fought like a supervillain. Mm-hmm. Who, he gets like flying powers one time. One time he gets like basically Aquaman's power set. Another time he's like really strong. You know, So, Pramble gets a variety of powers that allow him to do a variety of different crimes with the Challengers. Eventually best him. Uh, before he can kill himself is they are able to develop an antidote that counteracts his power so he's normal again but if he kills himself he'll get new powers and the antidote will essentially not be effective against him so they get him with the antidote one time and then they capture him so he can't hurt himself the second story in 14 june red and rocky are captured by creatures who had been uh basically study subjects for like a naturals institute on another planet and The only way to describe this is if... If Coco the gorilla had somehow convinced Jane Goodall that she was hostile and kicked Jane Goodall out of, like, the the Gorilla Study Institute. It's not quite Planet of the Apes, but it's very nearly like the inmates are running the asylum sort of a situation where these, basically, space gorillas are in charge of this outpost that's studying them. And by in charge, I mean they have control. And June... Uh, and Red and Rocky have to figure out a way to get back to Earth eventually when Ace and the Professor show up.
1: I'm going to say, imagine if you crossed a Snuffleupagus and Alf.
0: Yeah, yeah, or uh, Grimace. Mm. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, it's like Grimace. Because yeah. they're like big furry and like egg-shaped but also with like a snuffleupagus elf sort of face like mm-hmm. they're just big fuzzy looking gorilla and things. for the
1: record, I definitely like oh, I wonder if there's like been a through line of when like the elf kind of like snout mm. became popular. So I searched I Google image searched for alien snout. Bad bad move. It was a bad decision. <laughs> it's a bad move on the I internet. I had some vivid imagery.
0: But yeah, um june is getting a lot more play in mm-hmm. the team as the honorary fifth member of the team and red and rocky are bickering back and forth very much the proto johnny storm and pro yeah. and the thing uh mm-hmm. relationship
1: and i i do want to call out like i'll go a little more into this later on but june gets the win sometimes like, oh, definitely. like with the mermaid situation she gets she gets the killing blow more often than vegeta does yeah
0: she she very definitely um Actively helps the team, but also gives them vital information that they need, or does a thing randomly, and the guys are like, Good for you, June! And none of them find it weird. Like, we've kind of stopped doing the, this is no place for a dame sort of mentality. And she's at just kind of. Sh- regards
1: Jane, or June. Yeah,
0: yeah. At, at least as regards June, which is a step forward, I would mm. say. Challengers number 15, August, September 1960. Multi man returns. So Pramble breaks out of prison by blowing himself up in his prison cell due to some <laughs> gifts that he gets. And receives more powers, meets his co-conspirator. The two of them go to, like, an ancient civilization to start getting some items that they think are going to give them wealth and jewels. Bramble or Multiman's, uh, cohort is thwarted after he tries to double-cross Multiman. And the Multiman kills himself one more time, gets, like, super brain powers, which are pretty nebulous... But he knows, due to his intelligence and the feeling that this is his last form that he'll ever get a shot with. So he now is stuck like this and refuses to try and hurt himself. The second story in 15, June and and a microbe creature that she's studying in her laboratory get made gigantic. So June does like the attack of the 50-foot woman situation while fighting Mm -hmm. a giant dragon. Where she is literally the only one that can tangle with this dragon. And eventually the thing that happened to the two of them wears off and it's kind of really anticlimactic. And I kind of wish we let June have the win there other than just like, Oh, it's going back to microscopic size and you're returning to normal. I was like, well, that's kind of a bummer. Challengers number 16, October, November, 1960. Holanka, an alien criminal who has escaped from prison and transport uh, arrives on earth in a weird situation that makes you think that this guy who is in charge of Holanka is like controlling him even though you find out that guy pretty much has nothing to do with the situation and halanka is just kind of pretending to be like a mindless golem creature while on earth halanka's running a uh, rough shot and a character known as thark weird sort of john carter of mars reference uh because the tharks are the alien species on mars that are like the green men with the four arms oh um i didn't know that yeah learn something new every day um, the Thark is an alien police officer tra- uh, tracking Holanka and the challengers help him round Holanka up and the random guy who thought he was controlling Holanka which is really weird the second story in challengers number 16 June and the challengers go to a mirage world that's kind of like medieval times for some reason <laughs> um, it only shows up once every hundred years and during that time period there's three instances where the gate to the town opens and people can go in and out and June is captured, and the Challengers must basically joust for her hand, and eventually she just helps them get out, and everything's fine, and it never is spoken of again. Challengers number 17, December, January, uh, 1959 and 19, uh, 1960 to 1961. Happy New Year. A bad guy gets a genie to help him commit crimes, uh, and June fights him off with opals. And there's a scene in the in the beginning of that story that I want to talk about, um also the second story is capsules hidden in an ice cap are released uh and you know put in the water because a, uh, like a ship is trying to destroy them so people don't run it's actually an iceberg uh, so people don't run into this iceberg the capsules hit the water they release monsters that grow to enormous size but also in the iceberg are alien baby men type creatures
1: yeah. um
0: that were transporting these these creatures and got stuck in suspended animation with them, and eventually the challengers help these alien creatures return to normal, and the and in return they take the creatures away and leave Earth. So that's the last story, um, that we're going to cover with the challengers for a while because now we're caught up in the timeline wise. So again, uh, just a little reiteration there. Rocky and Red becoming Johnny and the Thing is yeah. really cool, and I think that was like the first starting of like. Real inter team dynamic
1: and mm-hmm. and characterization, which I thought was cool to kind of see. The bit about that that fascinates me is it's actually after Kirby leaves the book, it like it in retrospect it makes sense. Like Kirby probably didn't wasn't the origination of the squabbling first family dynamic of uh, Fantastic Four, but I really expected to see that through line of oh it came from here it went to here. Because they are one hundred percent. You're absolutely right. It is those character archetypes. It is Johnny Storm and Ben Grimm just kind of shit talking each other in that way. And Rocky gets even like we we made the comparison uh, last time of he's basically Ben Grimm. He's really Ben Grimm at this right.
0: point. Right. He's always spoiling for a fight. He's the first one to kind of suggest violence as a solution to the situation. Um, he's also kind of like the big lug. Uh, Mm -hmm. oddly enough everything kind of seems to happen to rocky yeah i mean
1: it helps that he's one of the only ones who has any character
0: right so it's kind of nice um but for reference from challengers of the unknown number nine to challengers of the unknown number 17 the writer is unknown or is labeled as unknown in this book
1: so for what it's worth uh the dc Wiki had it as uh was it dave wood dave wood okay
0: so dave wood comes back Yeah, it's Jack Kirby, Ed Heron, and Dave Wood are the three writers that consistently show up. So if it's unknown in this, it may mean that Dave Wood is known, specifically, um, to have been
1: the writer. Yeah, for what it's worth, uh, DC Wikia says Dave Wood starting around uh, number 12. But, you know, I don't know... Grain of salt, you you know, with Dr. Internet. We have bad records. Yeah, it's entirely possible. So, uh,
0: again, I wanted to go back to the last story or the last issue that we covered with Challengers, where June fights off the genie with the opals. That story opens with June and Ace shopping. Mm -hmm. Completely platonically. Ace is with June in a jewelry store, standing decidedly far away from her, talking about the jewels that she's buying. Just, like, matter-of-factly. It's kind of very... Like, it's very interesting to see that kind of a dynamic in a comic like this, where Ace... Who would be... Uh, the two who I would think would be the romantic attractions he's, would be... He's being set up as the dad of the group. Right. Ace and Red are the two that I would think would be the ones that get the girl. Mm-hmm. Red is the young, you know, youngster daredevil and Ace as the mature leader. But they don't seem to be setting that up so much. It's just like, yeah, we're hanging out. It's cool. Whatever. And I thought that was neat to just show that kind of a dynamic.
1: I'm curious to see where this goes. First off, like, it's worth noting that the idea of Ace as the leader is something that really only crops up in the later issues that we read. Yeah. Uh, Especially, like, early on, of course, they're all completely interchangeable. And then you start getting a little more characterization. And then it just kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere. It almost feels as though there are times where they're putting their toe in the water of what they feel like they should have on the checklist because they have a hideout at one point that gets introduced and it's like around for like two issues and then it's just not mentioned. Yeah, Challenger Uh, Challenger Mountain. Mountain, Yeah, Yeah,
0: Challenger Mountain is is really heavily introduced in one issue and like, you know, this new location, it's essentially a mountain fortress Mm -hmm. that has giant walls for the hangar bay for their jet. June is there doing science at one point. Like, it's a home base, and it's never brought up again, but they oftentimes leave from Challenger Mountain. That's the place that they fly mm-hmm. out from. So yeah, it's, it's never like the Fortress of Solitude or the Bat Cave. You know, it's, it's their weird sort of sense of place. It's the only area on any map in Challengers of the Unknown that they mm-hmm. constantly return to, because everywhere else is parts unknown USA.
1: I wonder if, like, Ace being a leader is something they were just like, similarly, we're like, should, we should have, like, a hideout, we should have a leader, uh, but we don't really have anything in mind yet. Like, maybe he and June have a thing, maybe not, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if any of it sticks, we'll throw it at a wall.
0: Yeah, it really is kind of, it does feel a lot like what they were doing with Wonder Woman, with, like, would you like to see more of this check, yes or no? Mm-hmm. But they weren't being that aggressive with challengers, in the sense where they were like... I don't know. Just, just try. Which seems odd, given the fact that they have their own book. You'd think they'd pull the trigger a lot harder on decisions that these guys are the only story in their book. They're being, yes. they're being very wishy-washy about it.
1: So I have information that sort of touches on maybe some of why they were a little wishy-washy in, in weird places. Okay, uh, is is now the time for that one? Yeah,
0: go ahead. I, I mean, the summary's over. I think we, we were, def, <laughs> we're definitely, um hitting a, uh, a sort of extrapolation sort of a situation. So go
1: ahead. Mm-hmm. And sorry if you hear me coughing at any point. Uh, I am on my way recovering from something. So you heard us mention earlier that Jack Kirby is, was no longer associated with the book. Uh, I think starting like issue 13? or
0: he, he started on the book pretty much from the start as the penciler from showcase number six but he stopped being involved or he at least he stopped being credited uh from challengers number nine forward
1: all right so this is going to be a little bit of a doozy okay (laughs) so we know that not very long after this fantastic four comes out and it is jack kirby and stanley and It's the start of their partnership that goes for a while and then eventually uh, Jack Kirby comes back over to DC and he does Third World, all that cool stuff. But there's a moment here where he's with DC for a little while and then he leaves. This one is a doozy. So apparently the reason that he left DC was a lawsuit over royalties. Uh, Not over DC Comics royalties, oddly enough. Uh, Jack Schiff apparently networked and he put jack kirby in a position to do the presumably lucrative uh sky masters newspaper comics strip, and in exchange for a share of the profits the what the sky masters <laughs> Yep. I, i'm sorry did i just blow past that okay sure <laughs> yeah apparently it was like fairly popular for the one year that it ran uh, uh at us old <laughs> comics
0: fans let us know what sky masters was about
1: uh i i know there's like a ship So, probably very Sky... Very Challengers, probably. Clearly, they're the masters of the sky. Surely, there will be a ship involved. I should be angry, but I walked into that. Yeah. So, the lawsuit was mainly over whether it was going to be an ongoing share that Jack Schiff would get, or if it would be a one-time payment. And then there was also uh, Kirby uh, said that Schiff had threatened to withhold assignments for Kirby because he was freelancing at the time uh, mm. when he was doing Challengers, he wasn't on contract, uh, threatened to withhold work if he didn't take this role. Uh, short version, ultimately, uh, Schiff won in 1959, and it soured Kirby so badly that he left and he went to Atlas, which would become Marvel. Uh, the thing that's crazy, the legal filings for this lawsuit were December 11th, 1958, and the depositions were March of 1959. The last issue that Kirby did for Challengers, and reminder that Schiff r- was the editor on Challengers, was in July of 1959. These guys were suing the shit out of each other, but had to work on the same book for months. Wow. And like, okay, so editor and art there is some degree of separation. It's not like like the editors at this point I think were more involved in story crafting and uh text. But, you know, like that's a relatively an un- educated opinion actually. Uh so I need to learn more about that. But still same damn book. Yeah, that's really weird. That's really weird and tough to
0: deal with. So yeah, that could potentially be why things are so mercurial within the book.
1: Yeah. So, stepping off of that one, uh let's go with the one other like chunky thing that i got that i want to sort of talk about and then the rest is going to be sort of like little thoughts last time i did a comparison of how many narrative boxes there were or uh, if nothing else i think last time i counted the number of narrative boxes and i think in the past i'd also done like uh gardner fox like how many narrative boxes did you have well you definitely did you did that for uh adam strange yeah 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 it is actually really fascinating. The moment that Jack Kirby stops being the writer for the comic, like reminder that when he was doing at at the last couple uh, of issues that he did, he was both arting and writing. Uh, the moment he gets off, like there's a huge drop off in the amount of narrative boxes, n- narrative boxes, narration boxes, whatever you choose to call them, uh, happening. Yeah, uh, and it actually is rather profound, like the difference, because uh, it. Comparing, uh, issue 13, story number one, versus eight story one, in 13, it's 28 narration boxes in 12 pages, and in eight story one, it's 41 in the same amount of time. Uh, Hawkman and, uh, Brave and the Bold 35 had 41 as well, uh, or 45 in that case, uh, whereas a random Green Lantern story had 33. Like, So the new writer, whoever it is, is more constrained with those narration boxes. One thing that is fascinating, though, is how many of those narration boxes that do happen have ellipses. Yeah. So it's a lot of dot, dot, dots going on. Yep. So that one I also did the math on because this is my life now and I make spreadsheets. It was, uh, oh, that's the other thing I have. Yes, that's going to be fun. Um, so I looked at, uh, issue eight story one. So this is still at the point where it's, uh, Jack Kirby and there were across 12 pages, 41 narration boxes, 40 of which ended in ellipses Hmm. because they're using the, in that case, they're not using the, the narration boxes exclusively to say, here's what happens but it's sort of designed to lead you into the action. Yeah, they're the setup page. It's like, Mm -hmm. and then,
0: dot, 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 and then you would see what would happen on the page.
1: Yeah, and and sometimes there is still the explanation of what happens, but it's at least trying, it's at least paying lip service to the idea that what's happening on the panel matters more. Right. Speaking of narration boxes, (laughs) narrating about speaking boxes, I realized what the narration box tone reminded me of. And partly it's because both of them are based on, like, the Silver Age, Golden Age, like, exclamatory, explanatory style of third-person omniscient rather than, like, uh, the angry Claremontian narrator or the first-person, like, voiceover narration of what they did. Uh, It turns out that there's a lot of similarities between the narration boxes and challengers and Calvin's monologues as stupendous man. <laughs> I could see that a lot. Yeah, actually. So I have a little game and it's possible that this is going to end up with, uh, uh, you getting them all completely correct. In which case I'm going to feel stupid, <laughs> uh, but I want you to tell me I have minorly altered these so that they all talk about the challengers. I want you to tell me whether it's Calvin as stupendous man or, Or if it's from the challengers of the unknown. Got it. Okay. The professor's profound knowledge lets him complete the task with supreme speed. Oh, shit.
0: Because Calvin would talk about himself like that.
1: I kind of want to say stupendous man. That is correct. Okay. Uh, The original line was, in fact, stupendous man, stupendous knowledge lets him complete the task with stupendous speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slipping cautiously from corridor to corridor to avoid lurking guards, the challengers finally locate the prison.
0: I feel like that's challengers.
1: Yeah, that's correct. With magnificent muscles of magnitude, Rocky breaks free.
0: Oh god, I could see that being a really bad Kirby panel, though. I really could. (laughs) Uh,
1: It's the alliteration.
0: Stupendous man?
1: Correct. Okay. A solitary figure runs across a moonlit building top.
0: That could be stupendous, man. Yeah.
1: And then I'll just give this one away, too. Uh, aligned perfectly with the sun, the magnifying lens focuses the terrible solar energy. Is also stupendous, man. Real? Wow, that actually sounds like a Challengers one. It kind because of it does. sounds more technical. <laughs> yeah, so that one's actually, like, verbatim. I didn't change anything with that one. Huh. Uh, that's when he's frying uh, the school off the map. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like it was really fascinating going through it's like i remember these exact comics calvin's a weird kid man (laughs) that kid needs help but yeah so like first off like bill waters absolutely like pegs the 40s 50s 40s to 60s style of narration oh sure uh but second yeah like like you kind of pointed out calvin absolutely had more hyperbole uh and alliteration uh, cause the style of the challengers, like it's not really, it's a little more restrained. Like they'll, uh, the example I have is like the challengers might like sway dizzily. They wouldn't like swoon in a daze. Uh, it's, it's a l- little more restrained. All right. So shall I jump into random assigns? Yeah. All right. So we talked a little bit about how, uh, June's hair changed color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Remember how it was blonde? Yeah. Remember how it became blonde for, like, one issue in here? Hmm. And the rest was all, like, blonde slash... Or, uh, red slash brown hair? Yeah. They're not great at continuity. Oh, boy. Or, continuity is even the wrong word. Consistency. <laughs> yeah, they don't know what... Well, also...
0: No prize explanation. June likes to dye her hair.
1: I mean, yeah. Like, that's... That is definitely the retcon... That yeah.
0: works. I'm down with June being completely into body autonomy and changing how she looks t- to fit her mood.
1: <laughs> Aw, our little proto-cyberpunk. Yeah, go June. Uh, speaking of uh, proto-cyberpunk, but not actually, uh, giant robots riding Tricera chimeras? Yes. Yeah. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah, that was a lot. It, yeah, was, a it, lot was, a, there. it was a lot. Uh, but it does look quite cool. I will, however, escalate that because... I did wind up going on a tangent last night, like, at a time when I really should have been focusing on just, just finish the reading, get your notes on the page. Uh, I wound up going in a little bit of a deep dive into, like, 50s monster movies, and then from there into Godzilla stuff. Hmm. And uh, just, it was entertaining, and the specific note that I had was uh, the story where she gets turned into the, the 50-foot woman and there's the giant other animal. Uh, the other animal looks like kind of like uh, Triceratops, except with two horns. Yeah. So I just have written down shit. Yeah, Kaijun versus uh, Duocer- Duocerasaurus. And I'm really proud of the pun of. Kai-Jun. I really, yeah,
0: I like Kaijun a lot. I want to call. I want her to be Kaijun forever now. Yeah. I want her to have like growing powers and just be awesome.
1: Uh, worth calling out. There is still no fascination with stuff. There's no bat gear. Uh, there's the hideout for two issues. It's kind of interesting that we don't have like that focus on bu- either building up stuff or just having cool stuff. Yeah, even their jet doesn't get like a
0: cool yeah. name like the Blackbird from uh, X-Men or anything like that. It's just the Challengers jet and Challenger Mountain. There's no character to those things other than they they are those things that are in this comic. Yeah, there's no like challenger brand gear or like the professor doesn't come up with like specific gear for them to use. Um not even
1: like throwaway yeah. gear.
0: Yeah, like, you know, quick, put on these challengers rocket boots, you know, or something like that. Or no one has like iconic gear. Like that's the thing. No one no individual has like a specific piece of gear, like the professor doesn't have like tricked out skin diving yeah. up, like stuff or Rocky doesn't have, like, boxing gloves that are, like, lucky. Ace doesn't have, like, a specific gun. Even Red it, doesn't have, like, his mountain
1: climbing gear. It's... it's There is no accessorizing for character. Yeah, exactly. Uh, other bit. So we talked a little bit earlier about how it is cool that June gets to have the finishing blow on, uh, like, challenges sometimes. She gets to be the one who... S- saves the day who figures the thing out we have the mermaids and it's cool but i was trying to figure out why they were able to do that and i think it's specifically because the challengers often like those stories are often structured with a twist at the end like Mm. a very clearly defined like it's not quite chekhov's gun but it's also not far from it it's like oh like this monster is doing stuff that we've talked about as vibrations like, oh, it's working off of, of vibrations. Well, I put it in a soundproof box and then the vibrations couldn't go anywhere because vibrations are sound or rather sound is vibrations. Yeah, or like, like, or, or like June's opals. Yeah, you know, well, the opals are actually like, I, I think, a negative example because I don't think they ever explain like earlier on that opals could have that effect. Did they? Well they, say, well,
0: they have the opals there, and then at the end they say, the only reason he's afraid of June is because opals are used to ward away
1: dark magic in the past. Yeah. And... It's, you know what it is? It's, it's that the, there is something on the mantelpiece that gets pulled off, but it's like, I guess this turned out to be a gun.
0: Yeah, it was it was set dressing that you never knew was important.
1: Yes. But, you know, like, by and large, I like the, the twists work. Not They're not all amazing, but, like, a lot of them are pretty solid uh i have it written down as oh wow yeah i didn't didn't expect that to be the solution but it makes sense within the story and i think one of the reasons that june gets to be the one who saves the day is because she's not one of the perspective characters so there's never whenever she solves it it can be a surprise to the main characters it isn't like one of the four having the idea and solving it it's it, it's almost a little more of a surprise coming from her
0: well yeah like the time they lose their their memory and when they get their memory back they're like how did that happen and she's like well I did this and the reader didn't see that happen mm-hmm. so yeah I can see that I can see where you're coming from with that
1: yeah uh, that being said like none of these characters are really the perspective character yeah uh, so there are a lot of times where the professor will be like I did this and this and this and it's like well Cool. Thank, God. We thank weren't, God yeah. We we weren't looking over your shoulder, we were looking over Ace's shoulder. Yeah, thank God. Thank God you did that off panel. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh man. I escaped somehow. Perfect. Off panel problem solving. Yeah. Uh, we we did have two giant stories this time, I think. Two real ones. Yeah. Uh, one one being the abducted by giant alien story and one being uh the giantess. Yeah, kaijun. I am not making this up last night I actually looked up what is the history of macrophilia to try to figure out whether like giants were just a thing in this era and I, th- I think the closest that it gets is that uh, this is the era where monster movies started being or, or the heyday of monster movies because actually like Godzilla it and I have this written down somewhere uh, this is prime time for Godzilla. Uh, 1962 was King Kong versus Godzilla. So like original Godzilla is what, like fifty-six, somewhere around there? And then from like nineteen sixty two on, it'll average one Godzilla film per year through nineteen seventy-five. Jesus, really? Yeah. And granted, like you have it goes from the initial like Godzilla as destructive force incarnation of like the fear of nukes into, okay, well, monster movies into, well, Godzilla is actually like a force for good and it's kid friendly entertainment. Uh, certain so it's not all the same style, but yeah, this is prime Godzilla. So it might just be like, oh, giant monsters are more of a thing. You have the uh, the '50s B movies. Uh, you have like them, which has the giant uh, the giant ants. Uh, mm-hmm. Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman is like right in here. It's I think I want to say it's like '58. So I don't I haven't seen like a Casas belli for why giants are the thing. But it might just be some of that, like, okay, sci-fi and uh, mon- uh, movies doing giant monsters. And that's everything that I've got. Do you have anything you want to go over? I think, uh, just something to, to think more about. Between
0: this and Justice League and JSA, this, I think, is honestly the better team book. Because they work as a team more and they're seen as a team and they're effective as a team versus constantly getting separated into duos that's true there's a lot of sequences where they're like come on fellas let's take them down or like we're all doing this at the same time or whatever mm-hmm. um there very definitely feels like the fact that they're a unit and not four four to five or six individual characters who are cooperating at the same time this definitely feels
1: like a team and i'll even go a step further and say that it doesn't feel like there's a writer uh, and an editorial fiat to break them up into manageable chunks it feels like the unit to bring it back around the unit is the the four yeah um there's lots of like everyone attacking something at once or
0: the three or three guys doing something while one guy distracts or Hey, where's Rocky? Like when the fleet, when he gets with the fleece, you know, they're all like, we got to find him. And they're all looking for him or Ace and the professor showing up when June, Rocky and Red get kidnapped. It's, you know, there's, there's very much a like, we are stronger together than we are as a part. Nobody ever really succeeds on their own. It always ends up everyone having to come together to do a thing. Mm -hmm. And if someone succeeds on their own, it's usually they're the one guy on their own and the three others are doing other stuff. Uh, Versus Justice League, it's you get your pairs. That's it. The pairs are always doing stuff. And it's showcasing what these two people can do and why they're together. And Justice Society was everyone does their own thing until the end. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is, and like, they were all successful in JSA at doing their own thing, versus these guys, it's like, no, maybe you'll find some information that you need, but you're not going to succeed at stopping the invasion by yourself. You know, maybe you'll stop one of the monsters, but the four of you have to work together to stop the invasion entirely. And it reinforces the idea that they are, again, a unit. It's good to kind of see that, because, again, team books weren't, really a thing you know again i would really like to see what you know sergeant rock is like and stuff like that just to 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 see if those are better um because again we're going to get to the doom patrol soon um which is going to be interesting and seeing like okay with challengers justice league and jsa and sergeant rock ahead of you what did you do with the team book Mm -hmm. this is a refreshing take on the early sort of progenitor of how cooperation works when you have four characters now the flip side is they're all bland yeah so great teamwork no characterization which there's no real characterization for jsa and jla the problem is you already know who these guys are because they all have their own book yeah so you can kind of imprint characterization onto the JLA characters he's like well I know just you know that Green Lantern would feel this way because I've read the Green Lantern comics and I know how he reacts in these situations um same thing with kind of JSA was every one of those guys was like in their own stories on their own so they kind of you could again imprint or infer insinuate any sort of characterization that you wanted onto them which was less work for the writers to do here This book would have been better than JLA and JSA had they been more characterized and and had been more fleshed out. Mm -hmm. Did we, if we saw more of Rocky and red going at each other, of professor maybe being the one that is romanced by June because they're both scientists and ace having weird, like war buddy moments, the comic would have been 100% the best comic we probably read. I Um, mean, at that point you're basically talking about the fantastic four. Right. And, that would have been really interesting, mm-hmm. and then you'd be like, "Wow, that's cool!" Like maybe the you know maybe Red and Rocky are gonna do something stupid, and that causes them to do something today, or maybe one of Ace's military buddies comes in and tells him about something weird he saw, or Professor and June are doing science, and somebody over there does something that they need to check out. You would have the ability to spawn the stories from within these characters, um, mm-hmm. and from their backgrounds, but without that, it's just reactionary showing up first responder stories. Yes. So it's just interesting to, thinking, to, to think about and thinking about it now kind of like all they needed was like three lines of dialogue in each book. Mm-hmm. And it could have been better. And it's cool kind of seeing that. I
1: mean, God, just having the little like Adam Strange, uh, the little vignettes before he gets hit by the Zeta Beam. Yeah, filled them out a little bit more. You know,
0: there's a couple stories in here um, where it starts with people doing stuff on their own and, and really the like Red climbing a mountain. Mm -hmm. with his friends i was like i want to know who these guys are are we ever going to see them again do you meet with them weekly like what is your deal or like i would have loved to seen ace at like an air show talking to the pilots and being like you know like hey well tell me about this new plane that you're flying that looks really cool just showing ace having interests professor and june doing science or professor delivering something like a symposium um based off of some of the weird stuff that they've seen. So we like, oh, Professor's doing something with the knowledge that he's gaining. Or Rocky, you know, boxing or hanging out with people or getting into fights. So, like, we Mm -hmm. still get that Rocky's that rough-and-tumble guy. There's all sorts of things that could have been done with these characters. And they could have gone a lot of different ways had they not done the two-story approach per book. You really could have had some solid, long-form, 24-page stories with room to breathe with these characters even if the first four pages were like each guy had a page to have a little short story would have been would have done wonders for the book
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know page one is ace doing something page two is rocky doing something it's basically each guy gets his own danger room open yeah. per page and yeah, you would, would have been great. fine you be, know would have been great and you could have had a fifth one for june you know doing whatever or you know, June gets one page and then one of the guys gets two pages to set up the story, or June always gets two pages to set up the story. There's a lot you could do there. Um, especially if the book goes on for 10 years, you know it was selling enough that they could have done that. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious if we can read more about it and see if they do go that direction once they see Doom Patrol working and once they see the Fantastic Four work. So, like, maybe we can just do more with these
1: guys, but we'll have to see. All right. Uh, do you have any recommendations? recommend an interesting one um so my girlfriend is really into nail videos uh and uh nail videos and slime videos uh and it's not necessarily something it's not something I would go out and uh look for but it's actually I will recommend like look at some like a really good quality like nail art videos like I'm not just talking about okay like cool uh, a, a nice nail polish or a really good bit of that like look for the people who build like dioramas on their nails like the idea of the aquarium nail where you build the nail up enough like with acrylic and stuff so that it has like resin like it's water inside it and you have little things in there like like how you know like you had those pens as a kid oh i've seen and you them, yeah. tilt them yeah like there's it's impressive the things that people can do with nails and I don't know, like if nothing else, it's interesting to at least be aware that that kind of art exists.
0: That's cool. That mm-hmm. like, I've seen a lot of those. Um, and they're, they're always so time consuming, you know, it always yeah. seems to me like, I'm like, that's a lot of time and effort and material to spend on that. But I mean, mm-hmm. Hey, I mean like whatever boats your float, um,
1: It gets views. (laughs) Yeah, it gets
0: views. I mean, there's no denying the fact that there's, like, an obvious, genuine audience for it. Because, one, it's, like, kind of mesmerizing to watch. and
1: That's that's 100% why she watches those and slime videos. It's
0: zen. Like, it's kind of just, like, watching someone build something. And you know what? Like, to the other point, one of the things I was working on the other day, I saw a video that had no words. Like, the guys weren't speaking while they were doing it. But they were demonstrating indigenous techniques on, like, building wells huh it was nuts like it was just like two guys with just their hands building a well and i'm like this is fascinating because huh. like i'd never seen anyone build a well in general um and like yeah like i totally understand like watching people like do stuff or putting minis together or, or i mean mm-hmm. nails is just a different type and it's really interesting with like the colors what you can do too on nails because like the, there's god knows how many friggin' you know shades of whatever that you can do some really curious things with them like one time i saw somebody who dude like made like succulents yep which was like huh
1: like your hand's basically useless after that (laughs) but like yeah yeah all right cool like Like, a lot of them are like show nails kinds of things
0: yeah and you're kind of like part of me is really like function over form but then Mm -hmm. the other part of me is like i mean like i can't do that so like that's impressive <laughs> you know, like i can't help but go like yeah wow you know mm-hmm. like i definitely see the appeal of
1: that yeah it, it, there are definitely a lot of things where it's like you do this for the picture and the cool story and being able to be like i made this doesn't this look cool yeah. uh rather than be actually trying to do anything yeah, that day it's it's,
0: just, it's like
1: uh it's like mandala's uh which are just, oh, like, yeah, yeah, repeating
0: yeah. a pattern over and over and over again and then, like, varying it. And it kind of looks like kaleidoscopes occasionally. Like, there's some really interesting mandala patterns. Um, I think my mother does them. They're really cool. Whenever she does, like, a new one, she, like, tries different colors and different patterns and stuff. And, they're like, they're really cool. And, like, they zen you out. I mean, like, I can't, I will never fault anyone for doing that. I used to do that with Minecraft. Like, yep, that's what I did. <laughs> so, yeah, I totally get it. Alright, this is a weird one, and I know I'm going to get a lot of shit for this. Uh, at me, don't at me, I don't care. I'm not afraid of anyone. Uh, that's a lie. Um, <laughs> I was playing Fortnite a lot over the weekend. Nice! Um, and here's the thing. I know Fortnite gets a lot of bad rap uh, for being what is essentially a ripoff off of Player unknown Battlegrounds. But I think there's something to that game in the sense that it doesn't take itself too seriously... The time between matches is anywhere between one to three minutes, which is shorter than any other game that I play online in general. You can really play through it very quickly. Um, It it just seems welcoming. Like, I don't get a sense of, like, feeling daunted or unwelcome or whatever. Um, And there's something to the just mundane suspense of not knowing where somebody is and, like, hiding out and, like, waiting and, like, listening for footprints for another player. And the idea of it is just so easy that it's, it's kind of fun. Like, and I'm glad that a game like that is out there. It's not something I'm very good at. But I would definitely recommend people go out and play it and just try it because it is part of the new zeitgeist of gaming. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for everyone to kind of just be like, all right, like it's not for me, but I understand why people like this or I may not understand why people like this, but I've tried it so I can at least have an informed opinion about it. And I'm personally like in the positive over it. Like it's not a game I go out of my way to play. But like if I sit around and I go, I don't really want to start like a six hour dive into a game. I'm just going to play a bunch of Fortnite. I don't feel like I've wasted my time, Nice, Uh, which I think is also part of it. It's like, yeah, I'll play this until I get the courage to play something else. But this is a game I can play and I know what to do. And I think that's there's a noble sort of mundanity to that. And I think that's kind of nice. So I would try it if you have the opportunity to. You can play it on your phone now. Uh, so really you can play it on any real digital device that it's possible to play games on, which is baffling to me. That's a game that big can be played on your phone, but yeah, it's on like phones, Xbox, PS4, PC, I think on Mac. And
1: is it on switch? I don't know if it made it to I Nintendo. I don't know. I don't know if it made it to Nintendo. Huh. Um, I, I would bet that it's either been announced or is already out for sure. I think it's coming to the Switch. I'm not sure. Um, don't quote us on that. But bottom
0: line being, it's a game that's really easy to learn but hard to master. Like, watching the really, really, really good Fortnite players, like, construct things in seconds around themselves is just, like, mesmerizing. So I I can see where the skill comes in. And, like, just frantically building around each other or, like, building someone into a trap is, like, really interesting and fun to watch. Um, so, Yeah. If you have the opportunity to, I would say, try out Fortnite. Uh, it won't cost you anything. Uh, unless you want to play, like, the co-op or single-player mode, I think is the oh thing God, you have to buy. Oh, that's right.
1: Yeah, that, the original game. The original <laughs> game that no
0: one actually plays. Yep. Versus um, the, the the online bit, which is, like, it still says beta on Xbox One, but I'm like, it's just the game. Like, mm-hmm. there's no beta to this. Um, I think that's free. That's what I've been yeah. playing. And... Uh, it's good. It's worth a try. There's some fun stuff in there, and eventually you'll be like, all right, I don't want to play this anymore, and you just jump to a different game. I think that's kind of the opinion, not the opinion, but like the feeling a game like that should give you. is like, okay, I'm done with this now. Let me find something else. It's a good warm-up game.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I think that'll do it for us today. Uh, we're going to be moving on to some other characters now again getting ready everyone up to 1961 so that we can get to the justice league and then move forward from there um we might have a surprise for you soon we may have someone else on the podcast that is not shannon and uh talk with them about just uh comics and writing and all that jazz uh but until then we will see you all next time DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and DCDetectivesPodcast.com.
1: It was clear that these challengers were the seed of something fantastic, engaging, and fun, with a natural sense of storytelling structure, even if they were a little heavy handed with the narration. As Rocky and Red devolved into another teasing argument, though, we had to wind down our interview, saying our goodbyes and packing our gear. Metropolis was calling again.